to um, take <clears throat> open your Bibles with me. Just grab your Bibles from that. We're going to do a sword drill. <laughs> um, I appreciate the music here, and I'm thankful for, I don't know how long it's been since we've sung How, how Great Thou Art in most churches. It's been a long time, but, but that, that's good. Um, but, I, but I also want to stress something, <clears throat> a couple of things. That, uh, eventually, my, no, my, my voice doesn't get any better, so I'm sorry. We just have to work with it the, the way it is. Here's my question. Um, it's a statement. That all of the pronouns, I get this, all of the pronouns in the New Testament, or not all, the majority of them are what? Plural. Isn't that interesting? Well, you should turn to the person next to you and say, isn't that interesting? Um, now the second thing, I, I want you to think about that because it's going to be important when we get to the other end. I, I'm trying to um, preach my sermon backward from where I started, so may be in trouble some of the way if they don't, they don't come together. But the other thing I want you to do is think of a place. Okay, well, think of plural. And I think of place. Um, would you go back in your mind to a special place that was yours growing up to, for a special time? Or, 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 um, and, and what we're drawing from is, is uh, David's reflections as he came to the end of his life. It's, uh, it's a wonderful reflection. I wanted you to do that because it's important. Uh, as I was preparing this, I was thinking about growing up, and there was a special time in the life of our, of our family. Um, in my family, there, there were nine children, uh, my brothers uh, had had four brothers, and each of my brothers had a sister. And and uh, we we lived at a certain time in a, uh, in, a in a, um, a place that was incredible to me when I look back, because in my family, my father was an abusive alcoholic. And the only time we were really happy was when he wasn't there, which is a sad thing. But, but, but boy, were we happy. Um, we, we didn't have anything, so we, if we wanted to have, if we wanted to have a little go-kart, then we'd go to the dump. And, take, and, and then we'd take, have you ever been to a dump? And just don't admit it if you're old. Did you know that if you took a knife and cut down out the bottom of a, of a couch or a lot, there, there was sometimes money in there. And, and what do you think? Um, and, and having um, 
nine children, we, we um, not only made, made our run, we made our food. We, we raised rabbits and um, um, chickens. In fact, boys and girls, once when, when I was five years old, it was around the 4th of July, and we were in, the, in our backyard, and, and my two older brothers were out there, and we were throwing, throwing firecrackers, and, and, and my, one of my brothers threw a firecracker in the chicken pen. Now, what do you know about chickens? Anything you throw in a pick in chicken pen, what happens? Boom, they pay. And the chicken picked that thing, poof. And the other brother said, I can't believe that. And he threw one. Same thing. Well, out of the back of the house, hearing the commotion, came my grandmother and my mother. Uh, and my mother was the original child psychologist. She, she didn't take... She could take a swatch, switch off a tree and well, she was lacing my brother's legs and my grandmother came out and went in the chicken pen and grabbed that chicken and spoof, snapped its head off. Well, I'm looking at this and I think, boy, if I ever get in trouble, I hope my mother gets to me before my grandmother. <laughs> But it, but it was that, it was that sp special time when we, we reflect. There's a, there's a peaceful feeling about that place. And, and here, here's what's going on in, in our country and why this is so important. Our, our children have lost place. There's no anchoring for them. The, the, um, and I'll get to this later maybe, but the, uh, a number of... Um, uh, research teams um, have, have, have written a, a, a paper on on the importance of place in our lives and, and, the, and the securities that build around that, which is where we are, where we function as a family. And um, so I want to get there, but first I want to I, I want us to take the life of David. Now you can take your Bible. And I want to do something before I do that. As you hold your Bible, I want you to be thankful that we go to a church where the word of God reigns supreme and that our pastor is committed to teaching the Bible verse by verse. One thing that does he takes the hard parts, and, and when, periodically when I speak, I just tell the easy ones. 1 Samuel 17 is, is a passage that's very familiar to you. Hey, by the way, I'm going to put this down, but before I do that, parents, I would encourage you to get this book for you. The Ten Ways to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. I can put that down. So David's life in, in, in my reading, uh, I think we can divide it into three phases. In fact, I think these phases kind of work for all of us. And so I want us to um, look at his life through these three phases and see how 
God might speak to your heart as he's spoken to mine as I'm trying to think through this. Father, we're thankful uh, and ask that you bless and direct in our time together. Your psalmist tells us in Psalm 5 that we greet you, you will hear our voice in the morning. We will prepare a sacrifice and then we'll wait and watch for you. So Lord, we give to you the sacrifice of praise. We give to you the sacrifice of commitment to your word. And then we wait to see how you're going to work that out. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so life came at David's, David three ways, three phases. The first is he had the Midas touch, right? When, when, when David burst on the scene, uh, we, we think of him uh, uh, coming into the battle in, seven, in, in 1 Samuel 17. But if you'll back up to 1 Samuel 16, probably better if I do Samuel with you. By skim that there, well, until I get there, you might get there first. First um, Samuel 16. And they said of Samuel, of David rather, verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul in a harmful manner. The point is, David had a tremendous reputation. He came to the battlefield he, and, and he... Um, was invited to um, pray with me for a minute, would you? Father, thank you for voice and concentration. I need the spirit of Christ to help me. There's something that we need to talk about as a family, and I pray that I would have your work in order to do that. Well, David shows up at the battlefield and, 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 and he begins to, to, to inquire into what's going on and he sees Goliath coming out and he goes up to the first person that's there and he says, what's going on here? And so this big guy comes out and fights every day, puts forth this boast Everybody retreats. So the king says, I have a, a, a bargain for you. What's his promise? You, if, you, if you do what? If you uh, take Goliath out, what do you get? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm from Missouri. 
And when, in Missouri, when we ask questions, we hope people will answer. So what did he ask him? What, what, what was the promise? His daughter, which is good news and bad news ultimately, right? What? What else? Great wealth. Great wealth. <laughs> What's the third one? Yeah, there. His daughter, great wealth, and what? Especially in, in this, in the country we live in, this is a big deal. What? No what? No taxes, right? So he comes up to this guy, he's standing in this, he said, what, 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 what's going on? He said, really? The king will do that? So what does David do? He comes over here and goes, taps the next guy on the shoulder. What do you get? How many times did he do that? Three times. You get, you get what? So that makes us nervous. Sometimes as Christians because of the prosperity doctrine. This, and the message changes, right? When it's David's time, turn to act. He's acting in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So he calls, Saul calls him in and he says, hey, what about you? You think you can handle this? He said, well, I killed a lion and I killed a bear. That's significant, I, I believe. So I think I can handle Goliath. And you know the battle, I don't have to tell you that. But there is something interesting. I, I got, I kind of caught on July, Goliath's head. Ever wonder about that? Look at the pain. What did he do? So, so the battle's all over. And the, bottom, the, 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 the battle shifts from Jerusalem to Ekron, 20, uh, uh, roughly a, a distance of 20 miles. And the, and the pastor says he, he got there head in hand, basically. He, I looked up the, 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 pri, the, the, the um, size of the average human head about 10 pounds. So he's a big guy, right? So here he is out in the battlefield and it says two more times that he's got Goliath in his head. Got Goliath's head with him. Gives new um, impetus to the, worm, to the terms heads are going to roll. In our culture, if somebody, if you go to work and somebody says, heads are going to roll, what's that mean? Somebody's going to be eliminated here from the, from, the, from the process. Of course, it reminds me of the story of the three people that were going to be executed by the guillotine. You hear that? When they got over to, to, to have their heads removed, the, the executioner said, would you like to have this, um, you want to face up or face down? Well, he said, I want to face up. I want to see the loving face of my husband. So the guillotine went and boom, it stopped right before her neck. The executioner said, you're free. I mean, you, malfunction of the machine. 
second, there was a guy, he wasn't that courageous. He said, no, I want to do it head down. The, the uh, blade doesn't come down. Third guy was a, an engineer, and he got ready to go in there. And he said, you know, if you had that screw taken out of there, this would, this would be a better machine. So he's got Goliath's head, and he's, he's just carrying it everywhere he goes. And that's the way, think back of those early days in your conversion. I was serving in the Marine Corps and came to know the Lord, and, and uh, I, I just had a kind of a Midas touch for a while. I remember eating lunch in the mess hall, appropriately named if you're in the, the Marine Corps. Uh, and I, the, the, I was working with a new group called the Navigators. And the Navigators were like um, tremendous discipleship guy. I mean, they, their thing was if it, if it walks and breathes, you witness to it. If, it's, if it doesn't, you just pray, pray for it. It's like ship work. You know, if, if it, on, on a ship in the military, when I was in the military, if it, if it moved, you uh, painted it. If it didn't move, you painted it. But, but I, I was in the mess hall one day at mess hall, and I, I wanted to have a Christian witness, so I'm, I said, I'm going to pray for my meal. And so we we're sitting at a table, and these guys were there, and I said, look, I'm going to pray for you. And um, as soon as I was praying, front of one of them um, mocked me. I, well, I turned to him and said, Bill, I will pray for you every day, but I'm never going to tell you about Jesus Christ again. By the way, I wouldn't put this method in your evangelism <laughs> book. And he looked at me, and um, about an hour and a half later, he came to my, my room, and I led him to Christ. The point is, you know, when you're young and in, in the Lord, you're just, you're just full of excitement, and, and then all of a sudden... Saul appears in David's picture. And, and God in this second phase begins to work with our inner man. He begins to deal deeply with us and, and, and really begins to work um, the depth that's needed. And, and, and I think we spend most of our life in this second phase, right? Romans 7, I don't do what I want to do, I want to do what I don't want to do, and all that back and forth, and uh, we, we, doubts. Have you ever had doubts about your salvation? I mean, just, you know, would we, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, if you haven't had those deep down questioning, not God, but my, my serious discipleship, that's what God is doing in that life of David. I mean, he, he has a meeting with Jonathan and he says, yeah, my dad's out after you go. And here he goes and he's alone. And he's scared. And he 
left so quickly, the Bible says he didn't have his weapon with him. So he went to the priest of Nob because there they had put Goliath's sword. And so he went and the priest gave him Goliath's sword. And, 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 and the scripture said there was none, there was never a sword like this. So where does David go? Gath. What? What do we know about Gath? Do we know somebody that may have been there, born there? Pardon? Goliath. David, wait a minute. The insignia that says it may have been signed by him. So he comes up to the gate of the, of the, of the, of the, of the city of Gath, and um, the people on the inside are saying to, 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 to the Achish, the king, David, the, the David of, of whom the girls sing, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. That David is at the gate. And, and get the, um, it'll be in First Samuel 21, but, but you've got to get it. It's one of the great comeback statements of all time in, in Scripture. When they said that, David got frightened again, so what's he do? He begins to, he pretends like he's crazy. He's slobbering on his beard, he's scratching on the walls, and the king of Asia, they go tell the king, and the king's response is classic. He said, what's the deal? Don't I have enough crazy people in my kingdom that I have to import them from the outside? He finally does get an army, though. 600 men. Here are their qualifications. They were in debt. They were distressed, and they are disillusioned. <laughs> the three D army of David, and they were going to go fight the three thousand men of Israel, three thousand of their trained fighters. Then there's this third phase of David's life, and I want you to read about that with me. So, Second um, Samuel now. Second yeah. Samuel. It says in, in uh, verse 2 Samuel 23, 2 Samuel 23, now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, 
the oracle of the man who raised, was raised on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet, sweet, sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me his word in my tongue. And he goes on and on and, and rehearses what God has done in his life. Looking back down the corridor of time and, and, and observing what, what he did. He um, praises God. Then the second thing he does, he lists the men of valor in his army. He goes right down one by one by one by one by one. I'm reminded, I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire. You should, because I think it's a, one of the best movies ever made. And the movie opens with the director of the school standing in front of a war list. Carved in granite are the people that died giving their life for their country. And this crusty old um, school director looks at this group in front of him and says, I go down the, the, the warlord. Name after name, I could, not I could not remember without sadness. And he says at the end of this, now by tragic necessity, it is your church, your turn to step up and fight for the cause. I suppose that's what I would say to you and to me. Now it's our turn. Um, it's our turn to step up and fight for the cause. There's one He said that, that um, David rehearses and said he was in reflection. He, he thought and meditated on place. He said, I remember the day that I sat back and longed for the day that I could have a, green, a drink of water the wells of Bethlehem. He longed for place. He longed for that security. He, he, he remembered his home and that connection it brought to him. And it brought him great comfort. And there were three. Hang, hang on there. A few years ago, the Commission on Children at Risk was prepared. The research was uh, sponsored by the YMCA. 
Dartmouth Medical School and the Institute for American Values. And they made this study, they were, they were doing a, a study, the Commission on Children at Risk. It says, in the midst of unprecedented material affluence, the deteriorating mental and horizontal, in the midst of unprecedented material affluence, the, inter, in the dear health of children are experiencing higher rates of depression, anxiety, attention deficit, come to, um, various different diseases. And so they, they, they proposed 10 statements to answer and to tackle that problem. And, and I'll give you the research, but I just bring that to you for, for this reason. The, ten, the scientific study concluded that the church is absolutely essential in the lives of young people. That they're not going to function unless they're connected to something eternal because they're hardwired to ask eternal questions and seek eternal answers. Well, the Staley study knew something that we've known all along. That a church functioning properly connects to its families and connects to one another uh, in vital ways, life-giving ways. We're You know those tumblers you put rocks in? You familiar with those in, in what? That's kind of what we are, isn't it? All these individual running, and, and, and we're, we're like um, porcupine on a cold morning. We, we need each other, but we needle each other. But it's that tumbling together. That's the reason our fellowship is so important, is that when we work and, 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 and roll together and, and, and are, uh, have among ourselves up around one another, we end up with that done properly glowing and shining for the gospel of Christ. 